Oh, man. Listen to that crowd. They know who it is. They know the name. The next generation, indeed. Next gen. That's his nickname. <laughs> next gen. What's up, Steelers fans? Welcome to this emergency special edition of Steely Cam, the podcast. This Saturday, I will be in Baltimore watching the season finale, so I don't know when I'll be able to talk to you next, so I figured I'd jump on now and uh, get a couple things off my chest. Joey Porter Jr. was announced today the Steelers Rookie of the Year, which should come as no surprise. The only other guy who maybe had a case to make was Broderick. Uh, Keanu Benton came on strong at the beginning of the year, but faded a bit down the stretch. Porter's not just having a great year for the Steelers, but he is one of the better rookies around the entire NFL, uh, especially for a defensive back. We just saw Devin Witherspoon up close in person, and he had a couple nice sticks there. Uh, but I don't think they're having him travel with all the number ones that that, that Seattle happens to run up against. Porter was going up against uh, DK Metcalf early and often this past week, and uh, Metcalf seemed to get the better of Porter on a couple occasions. But uh, looking back at the tape, uh, the long completion on what should have been a TJ sack had he not slipped there, uh, pretty clear push-off from Metcalf, and you saw Porter uh, throwing his hands up looking for the flag at the end of the play, doing the he-pushed-off uh, signal. The, rush, the first rushing touchdown should have been flagged on um, on Metcalf for holding there when he had uh, Porter by both the shoulder pads. Both shoulder pads were flipped up into the air. They always say that you can grab and hold on to a guy if your hands are within the framework of his body. And it's not that you're allowed to. It's just that it's harder to catch uh, the hands committing a foul if they're hidden by the, the guy's body. If they're inside, uh, you can only see the hands from one angle. This is an instance where Metcalf had him by the shoulder pads, which could have been legal, had he not flipped those shoulder pads up. And that should have been, and especially when Porter tried to disengage and tried as the as Walker was coming past him, uh, he was unable to extricate himself from that block. And that's when most of the holding flags come out, is when the, the guy is going past you and the, the blocker doesn't know when to disengage. Joey was probably one of the brighter spots on a Steelers defense that has not been stellar of late. Uh, especially on the running side um, in this past weekend. Um, but on the rushing side of the offense, uh, great day for Najee and Jalen Warren. And uh, the, the the narrative coming out of that game is how great a day the offensive line had. And uh, I don't want to be the, I hate to be the, the rain on your parade. Um, I always feel like the naysayer. And it's not like the offensive line had a bad day. I mean, two for three on fourth down conversions, the only failure. Uh, being the deep, uh, looking for George Pickens on the left sideline on that back shoulder ball that uh, Mason couldn't connect with him on. Three for four on QB sneaks. Um, the only the only failed one, they then ran again on the fourth down play and converted there. So uh, the offensive line was getting good push, which is something they haven't been getting lately. So I guess you do need to give them credit for that. But to frame it as Mike Tomlin did and as all the Steelers reporters did and as... Uh, Najee Harris did when he gave his angry run scepter to this entire offensive line, I think is a little bit um, not misguided because it's a calculated effort and I'll get to what they're trying to accomplish with that, but um, it's not hard to see through. I'll say that Uh, you look at who they played this week, Seattle, not a great defense overall. Uh, Vilma mentioned it coming into the game. The, the reason the Steelers felt like they could go for it on that early fourth and five is because they felt that Seattle was such a soft defense that they'd be selling out everything that they could get something easy over the top. And you saw it as that game wore on. Other than 99 on their defensive line, they really had no strength or push uh, coming back against our push. So, And then Devin Bush starting in for the linebackers. 
Artie Burns starting in the secondary for them. Those two data points should tell you all you need to know about how uh, solid they were tackling on, on the back end. And again, I don't want to be the rain on anyone's parade. I just think that, uh, you know, Najee Harris and Jalen Warren deserve the lion's share of the credit for what happened in the rushing game on on this past uh, Sunday. Najee Harris, 115 of his 122 rushing yards, according to Pro Football Focus, came after contact, meaning only seven of his yards he gained before being hit by a defender. So I guess thanks a lot, big men up front, for the for that seven spot you spotted me. But I had to do the rest myself. Uh, Jalen Warren's side of it, 57 of his 75 rushing yards, according to PFF, were after contact. So uh, you, you think about it, he had that untouched 18-yard touchdown run. 75 minus 18 is 57. The math doesn't work out quite that cleanly that all of his yardage came after contact outside of that 18-yard run. There were some instances where he was hit in the backfield, and it's, so his, his uh, yards after contact actually ends up being more than the, the, the gross yardage he gained on the play. If you just look at yards after contact, it doesn't tell as good a story for the Steelers' offensive line as uh, we've been hearing from Tomlin, from, from the running backs, from the media. And uh, it's pretty obvious that uh, they knew that they have a, tough, a much tougher test next week in what is literally a gotta-have-it game, a win-or-go-home game. Everything they've been able to scrape together as far as confidence and their ability to move the ball over the last couple of weeks with Mason Rudolph at the helm, that all goes out the window if you tell the truth of the matter that, uh, you know, we got a little bit of push and we like that, but, you know, we still are getting hit at the line too much. Najee Harris, 11 of his 27 runs, uh, he was hit at the line. Jalen Warren, what were the stats on him? And I'll sort this list by broken tackles because uh, Najee Harris led the NFL this past week and uh, Warren was tied for second in that particular stat. So looking here at hit at line, as I said, 11 of 27 for Najee. For Warren, 6 of 13. So we add that together. What is that? 17 of 40. We're almost half of the rushes the Steelers are calling out of their playbook. They're getting, you know, not stuffed. But they're getting hit at the line, and the and the runner is going to have is having to manufacture something on their own again for the third time. I don't want to be the guy constantly raining on your parade, being oh don't don't get too excited, oh, blah blah blah. I'm not a crook. Apparently, I'm Nixon now. But um, you know, I don't like being that guy. I'm just cautioning you against a narrative that is misleading going into a game against Baltimore, the the best defense in the NFL. It's going to be a tough test. And, you know, the things that you've learned about your offensive line, your offense and your offensive line specifically in the last two weeks aren't going to mean a hell of a lot uh, when you're going out there against this pass rush, against this run defense, against this back end. They may not have the, the heavy hitters, the Ed Reeds, the Terrell Suggs, the Ray Lewises that, you know, make, that make you fear them in that traditional sense, but they're, they're still statistically the best defense in the NFL. And a lot of people, I fear, are going to be in for rude awakenings because they're buying into these narratives that have been built on the backs of these victories against these subpar teams, and specifically very subpar defenses. The other piece of news this week is the Kenny Pickett speculation about did he refuse to back up uh, Mason Rudolph? Was he just not healthy enough to play at the time? Uh, a couple reporters coming out and saying there's, there's smoke here, there's stuff that we want to tell you but we're not allowed. Because if we do, we'll ruin our relationship, not just with Kenny, but with all the other. No one will ever talk to us again or give us a good quote. Kenny came out and he's like, oh, if you can't prove it, it's not real. Because he knows he can play that card. 
because the the reporters aren't going to burn their source because number one they're not going to get any more quotes out of that guy number two i'm assuming it's a trainer who's disgruntled with kenny for whatever reason uh they get that guy fired and for all the people saying and kenny is one of these people saying that he felt personally attacked and people feel like madden and Kabali and them are personally attacking this quarterback uh, their job is literally to offer their opinion on a guy's job performance. And when they come across a story, when someone tells them a story relevant to that guy's job performance, it's their job to write about it. And what is no part of Kenny Pickett's job is to offer his opinion on the stories that they write about. It's also not part of Cam Hayward's job. It's not part of uh, Travis Kelsey's job or Jason Kelsey's job. Athletes love kicking down that old line of, you didn't play the game. You don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like. You are a crook. Why is turnabout not fair play for us on that? Why can't we say, you didn't go to journalism school. You don't have degrees on the wall that say you sat in a classroom and listened to a guy lecture about what is and isn't good journalistic practice, about journalistic ethics, you didn't have to take an oath. At this point, it's a he said, she said situation. And anyone who thinks that Kenny put the rumors to bed with what he said is out of their mind. Uh, you know, obviously he would dispel the rumors. He wouldn't add fuel to that fire. Um, and when his agent actually was reached out to the previous day, uh, he declined to comment on the matter. They were in their meetings. They were formulating their response, how to deal with this scandal. I, I guess I'm revealing that I do think that there was some sort of issue before the Seattle game. But regardless of if there was or not, or if he just wasn't healthy enough to play, uh, the, the knee-jerk rush to defend him and attack Mark Madden and say, these are personal attacks against a, a football player that I really like. You can't attack a guy. You can't do personal attacks. Uh, you're fat and lonely. Do you not hear how you sound when you say these kind of things? I'm obviously personally attached to the issue because I do have degrees on my wall and I've spent the last uh, seven years, you know, in a profession that the president of the United States has told people, don't listen to them, they're the enemy, attack these people. Uh, every night seeing videos on the news of journalists trying to cover protests and riots and stuff and being specifically targeted by police with tear gas, with rubber bullets. Journalists are dying every single day, and I realize that the stakes are a little bit different in sports media than, you know, if you're in the jungles or on the front lines and, you know, actually doing stuff that pisses off uh, people when there's real money and real stakes in the game. The thing that people don't understand about sports media is it's a blending of real journalists, people who work for newspapers who are credentialed and, you know, went to journalism school for this and have that background of ethics and, you know, how to conduct an interview, how to how to conduct oneself professionally in, in a in a locker room interview setting. Those kind of people rub, rub up shoulders all the time with people who are more accurately classified as entertainers. Uh, radio personalities, Stephen A. Smiths of the world, the Mark Maddens, to get specific here. Uh, Mark Madden is the one who people like to attribute it to because he's the he's the easy target. You know, he pisses people off because he can be arrogant and he doesn't mind telling you when you're wrong. And, you know, a lot of people don't care for that about him. I respect that about him. He, he believes what he believes in. And he's not going to let you bully him into thinking something else. But with all that being said, the label Dick probably still applies there. But he wasn't the only one who, with this story. Mark Caboli in The Athletic, a real journalist, he was also hinting about it. He wanted to go public with it, but he knows he can't. So when you zoom out and you see it's not Mark Madden versus Kenny Pickett, and that, that could get muddied because they have a history going back where Kenny's fired back at him on Twitter for 
the the take that he had about the the fake slide that Kenny had. I think that was a bowl game a couple of years ago. Uh, but uh, you know, when you zoom out from that, you see it's really a, a bunch of guys have the same story. Mark Madden's not lying. Kenny Pickett might be lying. Mike Tomlin them. Mike Tomlin might be lying. Cam Hayward, TJ, all those other guys who came out and said no story, nothing to see here, they wouldn't know. Why would they be privy to what happened in a closed-door meeting between Mike Tomlin and, and a Steelers quarterback? You, they, the, and by the way, they never came out and said it didn't happen. What they said is, this isn't news. We shouldn't be talking about this. We should be talking about Baltimore. And that's fine for them to say because they should be talking about Baltimore because they can't overlook. They need to be singularly focused right now on the Ravens. We're not going to be suiting up on Saturday. We're not going to be on that field. We can talk about this story as much as we want. We can give this life as long as we want to. It's not going to take away from the team. It's not going to hurt the cause. There's a third door, uh, the first two doors being Kenny's lying and the the reporters are lying. The third door is the source who gave the same information to all these reporters. Uh, That source is lying. And, you know, if the source is a trainer, he's probably pissed off at Kenny for whatever reason. You have to ask yourself, is this quarterback a dick uh, that he's making the little people who work under him uh, pissed off enough that they're willing to tell lies about him uh, to try to get him some sort of comeuppance? With all the disinformation flying around nowadays, and I'll wrap it up with this, you don't want to live in a world where journalists don't have your back and aren't trying to keep you safe. If you believe that, you know, we're just doing this for clicks, for our own self-aggrandizement, you must live in a terrifying world because, you know, the original purpose of the the fifth estate, the media, was to to be the watchdog of of large government and make sure they're not overstepping their power. We're trying to keep the, the populace educated and thus not safe, but, you know, protect us from tyranny through education. That's the only weapon that we have in many of these situations. And, you know, to, to view us the enemy is just so disheartening. And, uh, you know, in the world of sports journalism, that line does get blurry between entertain, entertainer and journalist. But, uh, you know, some of us did go into this for the right reason. And to paint us all with that same broad brush is, you know, just pretty offensive.